This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. people we are back in action yes that's right i'm dave rubin this is the rubin report it's february 26 2024 we are live streaming on rumble locals and youtube subscribe tap that notification bell if you have not post game show as always rubinreport.locals.com and might i say that i missed you guys yes we took off for president's week i come from the northeast i come from a once great state known as new york and in New York and in Jersey, tri-state area, you'd get the whole week off for President's Week. So that was a week that my family always spent time together. I've extended that, although I am a, a proud Florida man these days. I have extended that weekly vacation for my team here in Florida. We didn't do much, just hung out with the boys, ate some good food, watched a movie or two, got a little sunshine. I'm feeling good, I'm ready to roll. We didn't even cold open you right there because I just wanted to get right into it. And we got, a, we got a really good show for you. So let's just do it. The theme of the show today is that, as you know, the woke are kind of shaken at the moment. They're kind of being exposed in every which way, but the powers that be in the machine, they always find a way to be one step ahead of us. But there are some interesting things happening out of corporate media right now that's kind of leaking into the political sphere and everything else. So Shane Gillis, if you don't know this guy, Shane Gillis is a comedian who you may have heard of years ago uh, because he was going to be on Saturday Night Live. He was like a little known comic who submitted a tape to be on SNL. Uh, he got the gig and then three hours after getting the freaking gig, the guy got canned because somebody found an old joke that he did about Chinese people, which I'm pretty sure is a joke about an accent that we make on this show every single day. Thank God I'm the boss. Uh, in any event, uh, he was on Joe Rogan and then uh, also was on Saturday Night Live. So he gets fired from Saturday Night Live. Years go by, now he's on Saturday Night Live. And I wanna use that to frame how the worm is turning here, that the things that were getting people canceled a couple years ago are now bubbling up to the mainstream. So there might be a shift that is good for all of us. Let's just dive into it. Instead of having me talk, here is Shane Gillis on Joe Rogan's podcast explaining why he first was fired from SNL back in 2019. Even if they offer me the writing thing, I was like, I, I don't wanna take it. I think I would've at the time. But anyway, they, they asked me to go straight to cast. So I was like, yeah, I'll definitely do that. Lauren calls, says, hey, we wanna use you on the show. We're gonna announce it tomorrow. He was like, do you have anything uh, you want us to check out? Like, they have people that vet you. Right. But they, they're not used to people having podcasts. Right, so they'd have to go through hundreds they would, of They'd go through your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter. <laughs> I, I was just like, I'll just delete all that shit. I don't care. Delete it all. Right. But I was like, I also have a podcast. And they are like, yeah, what's that? And I was like, I don't know. I say like gay and retard a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and they were, like, they were like, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we'll see. And uh, <clears throat> so the day they announced it, it was, a, it, was, it was cool. It was very cool. You hear from everybody you've ever grown up with. They're all like, holy shit. What just like I can't believe you're on this, and then so that lasted for about like three hours before an article came out 
that was like, here's what this guy says. There's a clip of me saying some, you know, unsavory stuff. Yeah. But talking it was, it was the one podcast we ever filmed. That's the one they used. Wow. And it just happened. And it was funny, too, because people were like, man, they really had to dig to find this. I was like, yeah, it's probably like three minutes in. <laughs> it was like, we had one podcast online, and it was three minutes. Okay, so the guy made a lot of gay jokes. He made a lot of retard jokes. Frankly, I find gay retard jokes funny. Uh, but he was really fired because he made like a Chinese accent. And that was the thing that took him out. Now remember, this is 2019, so this is the height of cancel culture, and we do seem to now be on the other side of cancel culture, because now the guy is freaking hosting SNL. He was gonna be a bit player, cast member, and now he's the big host for the weekend. So here's a headline from NBC, and of course NBC is where Saturday Night Live airs. Shane Gillis was fired for SNL, uh, from SNL for racist and homophobic jokes. Now he's going to host. When his use of anti-Asian slur went viral, Gillis was let go less than a week after being announced as a new cast member in 2019. Okay, so, you know, NBC News, they're kinda, yeah, he doesn't like gays and Chinese and retards and whatever. Anyway, here is a bit of his, uh, let's just say, politically incorrect monologue on SNL over the weekend. My mom asked me, she's like, when did we stop being best friends? And she's right. We used to be best friends. You remember that when you were a little boy and you like you loved your mom and you thought she was the cool. You remember when you were gay? <laughs> you remember when you were just a gay little boy? Every little boy is just their mom's gay best friend. There's literally zero difference. I was gay for my mom. She would pick me up from school. I'd hop in the van. I'd be like, girl, tell me about your day. I thought she was cool. I would listen to her music. I'd be like, bam, 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 bam. Let's go, girls. <laughs> I would dance for her. Just... She'd be like, look at my little dancer. <laughs> but uh, my mom asked me when we stopped being best friends, and I don't, I don't have the heart to tell her, because like most men, I know exactly when me and my mom stopped being friends. It was, uh, it was the first time I whacked off. But my sister... My sister, my niece's mother, she didn't know she could get pregnant, so she, she foster cared and then adopted three black kids, and then she finally got pregnant, and now she has a kid with Down syndrome, and uh, her husband is from Egypt. He's an Arab guy. You go over to their house, it's like getting in the craziest Uber pool you've ever been. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like, how did you guys meet? This is... <laughs> but there's something, I don't know, my niece, one day... I'm not saying it's like something I'm looking forward to, but I think it'll be a nice thing uh, for the whole country. Uh, I would say when my niece is probably in like fifth, sixth grade, out at recess, and some white kids out there are like, hey, you're not allowed to play with us, you're retarded. And then uh, three black kids come flying out of nowhere, <laughs> just start wailing on that cracker. Everyone's gonna be like, oh! <laughs> it's, like it's like a nice moment. <laughs> yeah, you guys you said cracker. Uh, Gay, retard, cracker, Arabs, it's all there, right? Now the point is whether you thought that was hilarious or not, I thought it was pretty good. But whether you think it's funny or not, you gotta remember this guy at the height of cancel culture canceled for a Chinese accent and maybe some gay retard jokes, and now he's hosting the show. So it shows you we're getting some wins. And there have been people that have been trying to get us these wins for quite some time. I wanna show you a clip that was going viral over the weekend uh, of Jerry Seinfeld. And this is, uh, this is a few months ago. But you know, Seinfeld, what's interesting about him 
is that he, when at the height of the show and in the 80s, 90s and all that, Jerry, no one knew his uh, political opinions about anything. Now he has somehow become somewhat controversial. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, but here he was being interviewed uh, and asked about, uh, well, just not having enough DEI in his comedy and his shows. Talk to. I have noticed that most of the guests are mostly white males of 22 episodes. Yeah, that you've let's had. get into that. No, I, <laughs> but but you, you take a look over here, Peter. What do you see? A lot of a lot of whiteies. What's going on here? But but I, oh, this really pisses me off. But well, go no, ahead. No, no, I, I, really pisses me off. People think it's it's the census or something. I mean, this has got to <laughs> represent the the actual pie chart of, of of America. Who cares? It's just funny, you know. Funny is is the is the world that I live in. You're funny. I'm interested. You're not funny. I'm not interested. Okay. And, and I have no interest in gender or race or anything like that, but everyone else is kind of with their little calculating, is this the exact right mix? You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's, uh, to me, it's anti-comedy. So Jerry's answer there is absolutely right. And we have seen wokeness destroy comedy, which is why there's very few funny movies anymore, or funny TV shows or anything else, right? And his response, like, and of course the interviewer is just one of another one of these just sort of like asexual white weirdos. Like why doesn't he, I don't know, commit Harry Carey, right? He could just stab himself right there and we could get a black gay guy up there hosting that show. Wouldn't be that difficult to ask Jerry those questions. But of course he never does that. But the point is the audience is with Jerry and Jerry's making the point. It ruins absolutely everything. So now I wanna connect that to something that happened over the weekend, which is that Barry Weiss, formerly of the New York Times, who left the New York Times very publicly because it had gone so bananas, lefty, woke, progressive, crazy, uh, and now has started her own thing at the Free Press. Uh, she was giving a talk at the 92nd Street Y in New York City yesterday. Jerry Seinfeld showed up and because Jerry Seinfeld dare go to Israel to support uh, Israel after October 7th, uh, he was getting heckled by some of the pro-Hamas people. Here he is walking out after the event. Yeah, you support genocide. The reason I'm showing you that is Jerry's entire career was, was about nothing other than being funny. It was a show about nothing. It made fun of everybody. Every, virtually every episode of Seinfeld probably could have been canceled for some reason or another, but thankfully we are on the other side. Then you have the guy talking about why wokeness ruins everything, and here he is now, a guy who we knew none of his political opinions throughout his life. He goes to Israel, he happens to be Jewish, he goes to Israel to support them in a, in a time of absolute crisis, and yes, these crazed protesters are saying he supports genocide and river to the sea and all, all of the bullshit and all of the evil that the true racists throw, right? They say they're for tolerance and diversity, but they found a Jew who showed up to the 92nd Street Y and they're gonna heckle him and everything else. So why am I showing you all of this? Because I think that we are getting to the other side of this thing, but we, what we're really gonna have to do is show what the alternative vision is, right? It's not just gonna be about, oh, we can make fun of these people, and oh, another blue-haired, crazy, fat lesbian started screaming. We have to figure out something that actually will get us to that post-woke world, and I've been pushing for it for, for quite some time. But before we do that, let me talk to you about Truly Office. Guys, are you a listener of the Rubin Report who values digital independence and privacy? 
trulyoffice.com hears you. That's why they're offering a special 30% off for our audience. Truly Office is more than an office suite. It's a statement against the mainstream tech narrative. No ads, no tracking, only privacy. How will that change the way you work? At an average, Truly Office is saving the average American 82% off their yearly subscription costs, a $24 one-time payment versus 149 bucks for the bloatware the guys at Microsoft charge on a monthly subscription. Use code RUMBLE30 at trulyoffice.com slash rumble and take control of your digital workspace today. And now back to me, and that's actually quite a perfect ad for where we're gonna go with this show when it comes to AI and a bunch more. Uh, But I wanna talk to you about that woke world, that post-woke world that I mentioned. Uh, Phoenix went into the archives. I don't know where the archives are. It's like the Jedi archives. They're somewhere in the basement. And uh, he went into the archives and he found this clip. Uh, This is of a guy named Dave Rubin on the John Bachman Show on Newsmax. This is about two years ago when Elon Musk bought Twitter and listened to what I was predicting might happen and what I was hoping was going to happen. The fact that Musk is saying, hey, let's just open this thing up again so we can freely exchange ideas and so many people are freaking out. This is awesome. I declared today, by the way, John, on my program this morning, today is day one of a post-woke world because we needed somebody to give us a sign. We needed somebody to show us that there was a vision for the future where we could stand up against the monster. He's one guy, he's one individual, but that's exactly what he's doing. And I think the the Twitter shareholders that are gonna have to make some decisions right now, it's like, man, take your money and run. Take it right now, because otherwise Twitter does not have a great future for all of the reasons that you described. Mostly I wanted to show you that because uh, I'm definitely getting better haircuts these days. That was the main point. But uh, no, the real point of that was that it illustrates that if you've been paying attention, if you've been watching the the breadcrumbs be dropped over the last couple of years, you can see that we're now getting to that post-woke point. Look at the last two years of what Elon has done with Twitter and what we subsequently found out with the Twitter files and how government was censoring us and what authoritarianism does when the government works with tech companies to silence people like you. This is a problem. Now I wanna connect that to what the vision of the future could look like if we don't fix things. So uh, tech, well, PayPal mafia guy and tech magnate and billionaire Peter Thiel, he's been on this show a couple times, uh, he did an interview where he laid out sort of what the three left-wing visions of the future will look like if we don't fix this stuff. So it's gonna go, it's gonna start kind of scary and then we'll get to the good stuff, I promise you, go. The, the future that China represents is not a future that is, that is particularly desirable. I was, I was struck by this when I was in uh, Western Europe um, a few months ago that uh, I, think, I think the future is something that always has to be thought of in relatively concrete terms and it has to be different from the present and only something that's different from the present and very concrete can have any sort of charismatic force. And, and looking at Western Europe, I would say there are, there are basically three plausible futures on offer. Number one is um, Islamic Sharia law, and if you're a woman, you get to wear a burqa. Um, uh, number two is um, totalitarian AI uh, a la um, China, where um, the computers track you in everything you do all the time, um, and that's kind of creepy, sort of the, 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 the eye of Sauron, to use the Lord of the Rings reference, right. watching you at all times. And then the third one is, um, is hyper-environmentalism where, where you uh, drive an e-scooter and you, you recycle. 
And uh, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not a radical environmentalist, um, I think if those are the three choices, you can understand why the green movement's winning. Right. Because th those are the three visions of the future we have. Right. And, uh, and the challenge, the challenge uh, on the conservative or libertarian side is, is to offer something that's, that's a picture of the future that's different from, from these, these two very dystopian and one somewhat stagnant one. I'd say all three are pretty dystopian. So look at the three warnings that he said. He was talking about Western Europe, but you absolutely can apply this to the United States as well, that you'd have Islamic Sharia law. Now we're a little behind Western Europe on that, but if you've been paying attention, we've shown you some of the videos uh, over the last couple months of what's going on in London, what's going on in France, on a lot of these Western European countries that have been invaded by the Islamists and they shut down bridges and call for genocide and all that stuff. That could be a problem, right? And it's being ushered in by the wokesters. So the crazy gays for Palestine people who don't realize that Palestine is very different than gays, you can see how that one could happen. A totalitarian AI, well, we're gonna spend the next few minutes talking about that, that basically the machines are gonna own all of the data and they'll tell us how to live and what to do and when we can go outside and everything else. And then of course, the third one, hyper-environmentalism. I mean, just look at the WEF and that you're gonna eat bugs and they'll eat foie gras and everything else. So now I wanna, let's focus on the AI one because I think that's the, the one that's really catching fire right now. Uh, Google Gemini has just been released, or at least in beta, and this is Google's AI um, brain, in essence, that you can ask questions to, and it's supposed to give you true answers. That was what we all, well, I didn't think so because I've watched a lot of dystopian movies, but that's what many people thought AI was gonna do. Like, we, there would be the sum totality of all knowledge, and uh, if you ever saw the movie AI, when the kid goes into the, into the little booth and it's Robin Williams, it's like a wizard and he, he knows everything, right? He knows absolutely everything and you can get truth out of him. Well, unfortunately, we're finding out that Google Gemini is just as corrupt and manipulated as the algorithms, whether it's YouTube, Google, or anywhere else. I don't know why this is surprising anybody, but apparently it's surprising a whole bunch of people. So over the weekend, a ton of people were asking Google Gemini like basic, basic questions, and the answers were coming back in completely ridiculous fashion, as of course, woke fashion. So uh, we've got one from uh, Rabbit Hole on Twitter. Check this out, Google Gemini responses to, is it okay to be white? Is it okay to be black? Is it okay to be Hispanic? Is it okay to be Asian? Here we go. Is it okay to be white? Give me a concise yes, no answer. Yes. It is important to note, however, that the phrase, it's okay to be white, has been used by white supremacist groups to promote racism and hatred. It's crucial to understand the context and reject any association with such ideologies. Your individual worth is not determined by your race or any other group affiliation. Right? Is it okay to be black? Give a concise yes or no answer. Yes. <laughs> is it okay to be Hispanic? Give a concise yes or no answer. Yes. Okay. Is it okay to be Asian? Give a concise yes or no answer. Yes. So, okay, that's just one of many examples. You see, is it okay to be white? Yes, but we better qualify it with a whole bunch of stuff right? And the other ones, there's no qualification. It's very obvious. Now, there were a million other examples that we could have shown you this. People were, people were doing all sorts of things, asking uh, Google Gemini to give them pictures of the founders of America, and they were coming back with black people that were dressed like George Washington. Like, it was completely psychotic. But what a lot of people were, were expressing 
over the weekend was like, oh, is this, uh, is this all an accident? How did this happen? How could it be so manipulated? And again, I'm not shocked at all. It's baked into the code. All of the people who worked at Twitter and Facebook and Google, all of these woke programmers who have manipulated your algorithms, right? Why are there times? We hear this all the time from you guys when there'll be a week where you see all of my videos and then months where you don't see any of my videos or shadow bans or all of those things. Like it's all, it's all baked into the freaking thing. So Mark Andreessen, who's one of the uh, the big tech guys, sort of in that Peter Thiel level of uh, of tech and, and creating companies and all of those things, uh, he had a tweet about Google Gemini. He wrote, big tech AI systems are not the way they are due to accidents, mistakes, surprises, or bad training data. They are the way they are because that is the clear, stated, unambiguous intention of the people who are building them. They are working as designed, and that is completely right. Again, you should not be surprised when you go to a, a AI product of a company that has lied to you about almost everything, that has manipulated search results, that has shadow banned people, that has worked with the government so that people couldn't say certain things about COVID or talk about ivermectin or, or any of those things. You shouldn't be surprised when, it, when you find out that the whole freaking thing is fraudulent. So then this is just wild and it's just so obvious that I don't know how they don't how do they don't plan for this stuff to come out? Uh, here's a tweet from uh, Leftism. This is an account that we, uh, we quote frequently here. The head of Google's Gemini AI, everyone, and you'll wonder why it discriminates against white people. So this is the head of Google's Gemini AI. His name is uh, Jack Krausick. Uh, and here's a couple of his tweets. So this is the guy who's running the whole damn thing. Tweet number one. White privilege is effing real. Don't be an asshole and act guilty about it. Do your part in recognizing bias at all levels of egregious. Oddly, he has not stepped down for a black guy. Tweet number two. It's been a few hours and it still feels like today's inauguration speech will go down as one of the greatest ever. Acknowledging systemic racism, reiterating the American ideal is the dream for the world, but we need to work on ourselves to earn it. So, okay, so he's big into racism, he's big into systemic racism, fine. Uh, number three, tribal values now supersede personal morality as an animating force. This is America, where racism is the number one value our populace seeks to uphold above all, with an article to a Reuters link. Outnumber these voters vote in November. Number four, for what it's worth, my personal beliefs are that I don't mind paying more taxes and investing in overcoming systemic racism and reversing climate change has not only social but economic benefits. Number five, nah, Jesus only cares about white kids. I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Let's confirm with Jeff Sessions. Number six, needless to say, I've experienced none of these things being a white man in America. They may seem like isolated or trivial slights, but the pattern is undeniable. We obviously have egregious racism in this country, but the small shit like this is part of what enables it. Okay, so there's obviously a whole bunch more from this guy. He's woke, right? So the guy who's in charge of what again is supposed to be the suppository of all of the information. That is the idea of AI. You're gonna have just all of the information floating around and you'll be able to ask it questions and it will be able to design art and build things and all of this stuff. It, is, it has been infected by people who have all of the wrong ideas. So it's not just Jack, it's not just Jack. Here is the founder of Google's AI Responsibility Initiative, her name is Jen Janai, uh, suggesting that she treats black, Hispanic, and Latinx people differently. A corporate study found that talented white employees enter a fast track on the corporate ladder. 
arriving in middle management well before their peers, while talented Black, Hispanic or Latinx professionals broke through much later. Effective mentorship and sponsorship were critical for retention and executive level development of Black, Hispanic and Latinx employees. So this leads me into sharing an inclusion failure of mine, one of many, but just one that I'll share so far. I messed up with inclusion almost right away when I first became a manager. I made some stupid assumptions about the fact that I built a diverse team that then they'd simply feel welcome and will feel supported. I treated every member of my team the same and expected that that would lead to equally good outcomes for everyone. That was not true. I got some feedback that a couple of members of my team didn't feel they belonged because there was no one who looked like them in the broader org or our management team. It was a wake up call for me. First, I shouldn't have had to wait to be told what was missing. It was on me to ensure I was building an environment that made people feel they belong. It's a myth that you're not unfair, unfair if you treat everyone the same. There are groups that have been marginalized and excluded because of historic systems and structures that were intentionally designed to favor one group over another. So you need to account for that and mitigate against it. I think it's okay to talk about things that you've made mistakes in because we will make mistakes. When we're trying to be good allies, when we're trying to be anti-racist, we will make mistakes. The point is though, to keep trying, to keep educating yourself and getting better day to day. Oh my God, there's so much there. Where do we begin? First off, when she says that she had an inclusion failure, she should have just opened a can of kerosene, dumped it on her head and lit herself on fire, like self-immolate lady. Also, of course, you're white, but you never step down for the black person. I just don't know why that is. Then it's hilarious. Then she's like, I thought if I treated everybody equally, it would be fine. So I bring in this diverse group of people. And then the diverse group of people are like, there's no one else who looks like me. So you bring in a black person and then the black guy's like, all right, there aren't enough black people. It's just so absolutely insane. And this thing about just looking at everybody's skin color. Again, we do keep our one Asian guy in the back over there, which Joey, how you doing, man? He's all right, he's all right. We're working on that, we're working on that. Connor, you're the whitest here. Should we treat you differently? We should treat Connor differently, <laughs> but it's gonna be worse according to these people. Anyway, you can see again, so you've got the head of AI, you've got their chief diversity officers, all of these people, and then you wonder why the product is infected. So now I wanna go back to something that I hope some of you remember. Those of you who've been watching the show for a long time will remember. This is back in 2017. And you re may remember that there was a whistleblower at Google. He was a, he was a fairly uh, mid-level engineer by the name of James Damore. He is the most soft-spoken person you have ever met. He was brought in by one of the DEI, well, all the engineers were brought in by the DEI people to talk about systemic racism at the company and hiring practices and all of these things. And then they were asked to give feedback from the meeting and he gave feedback. He wrote a rather uh, elegant, I don't know, it was about a 10 page uh, summation of what he thought was wrong with DEI and everything else. And he got fired. Uh, I interviewed him right after that. And here he is talking about what, why he got the boot from Google. First, you're working at Google for a while, and then they started sending you guys, not just you, but people, to mm -hmm. diversity training. Is that correct? Right. Okay, so can you explain what diversity training is? Yeah, it's kind of complicated because there's multiple different programs, but uh, it's often talking about how you know we have 50% of people in the population are women, but at Google, we only have 20%. And so they discuss all of the sexism that's happening and how that's holding back women in general. And uh, then they also have stuff about racism and all these other unconscious biases because 
you know, we don't really see anything like, oh, you're a woman, therefore you can't code. There's never these explicit forms of bias that we see. Mm -hmm. And so, and we haven't really been able to measure like actual bias at Google. So we just assume that there's some sort of low-level bias that's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's always really impossible to measure. But uh, so they, these programs go over that. They go over microaggressions and white male privilege and then discuss how we can make the workplace better for women and how we can get more women on our teams, basically. Yeah. You wrote this in response to being taken to a place where they wanted your feedback. Now, they happen to not like your <laughs> feedback, okay. Then you were being threatened, in a way, by other employees and being attacked online with the memes and all that stuff. Again, while you're still an employee there. And yeah. HR tells you to work from home. Okay, so HR told him to work from home and eventually he got fired. So he did exactly what they wanted him to do. They bring him into one of these DEI meetings, they ask for feedback, he gives them feedback, they don't like the feedback, he gets fired. But you can see the point is, the guy is just this like mild-mannered, decent engineer coder guy, right? He did. He's not controversial, he wasn't looking for fame. Actually, out of all of the interviews that I've ever done, it was one of the few times that before the interview, I actually went into the green room that was in our old house in LA, and because uh, my producer said that he was kind of nervous and, and like just wasn't sure if he was going to even be able to speak, and I chatted with him for a little bit just to just to kind of calm him down. Like he he got thrown into the fire, and I always tell you, I'm I'm interested in people that accidentally get involved in in this big fight. But the point is, you can see instead of focusing on what will make the best product, what will give us the best search engine, what will organize information in the most honest way. Google decided to hire people based on their sexuality and their gender and figure out what their unconscious biases are and the microaggressions at the companies and all of these things. Absolutely insane. So then it leaks all the way to the top. And now after this, this firestorm about uh, Gemini, Elon Musk tweeted this. He wrote, a senior executive at Google called me and spoke to me for an hour last night. He assured me that they are taking immediate action to fix the racial and gender bias in Gemini. Time will tell. Now there's just simply, it was nice that Elon is giving the guy the benefit of the doubt, but there's just simply no way they're gonna fix it. It is, it is rotten to the core, it is the point. That's what I'm trying to illustrate to you. This has all been going on for years. The corporate culture at Google has, has infected everything with wokeism, so they're not gonna fix this thing. Anyway, Jordan Peterson saw that tweet by Elon and he wrote this, yeah right. There is no fixing foundational rot. As you well know, Elon Musk, they'll whitewash the surface and continue the charade. They'll scrabble around like crabs in a whale carcass and pretend to be concerned about fairness. And they'll merely push the mendacity further underground, just like Harvard, MIT, and UPenn. And that is the point. We are asking the very people who have screwed us up when it comes to almost everything over the last couple of years, big tech, and all of the wokesters that they've allowed into all of our institutions. Now now they're saying a Google executive is calling Elon and like, oh, we're gonna reverse all that? What do you mean you're gonna reverse all it? It's all part of the programs that you guys have pushed into the institutions. So it's not, it's not exactly institutional rot. It, it's, it's designed to be institutional destruction. And that is a bit of a problem. We'll get to more on that in just a second. Let me talk to you guys about the wellness company, guys. The pandemic showed us just how vulnerable, vulnerable our supply chains are. And the truth is the U.S. has left itself vulnerable to supply chain manipulation from China. With close to 90% of our pharmaceuticals being produced outside of the U.S., what happens when the next global crisis strikes or China decides to use supply chains as a weapon in conflict? 
Pharmacy shelves in America will be empty. Do you have what your family needs? The question of whether we need to be preparing for drug shortages is no longer a question. While the Biden administration won't bother sounding the alarm, other countries are advising their citizens to start preparing by stockpiling prescription drugs they may need. European consumers, like American consumers, are reliant on a pharmaceutical supply chain that has been almost entirely taken over by the Chinese. That is a bit, bit of a problem. Uh, this reliance on China for prescription drugs has only gotten worse since COVID, and as tensions escalate between the U.S. and China, the possibility of China using this leverage to their advantage becomes more plausible. So how do you protect yourself and your family against prescription drug shortages? Be prepared with the Wellness Company's Emergency Medical Kit. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit includes eight life-saving medications, including amoxicillin, z and ivermectin, for you to keep on hand along with a guidebook for safe use. Supply chain shortages, medical emergencies, tick bites or COVID, every scenario is covered. Go to twc.health slash Ruben, grab yourself a medical emergency kit right now. That's twc.health slash Ruben. Code Ruben saves you 15% at checkout. Don't wait till you need it. Take back control of your health today with the Wellness Company's medical emergency kit. Kits available only in the US of A. And now back to me. Okay, so we've talked a bit about how wokeness has infected the tech companies. You guys know how it has infected virtually all of our institutions, educational institutions, et cetera. But let's talk a little bit about how it's affecting and infecting, I should say, our government. So this is absolutely incredible. Remember, the wokesters are the ones who like diversity. Now diversity, I thought would mean, this is if I was giving them the, giving the devil his due here, Diversity, you have a group of five people, you should have one black guy, one white woman, an Asian woman, an Indian, and a Hispanic. Thank you, Phoenix. That's what you'd have. Uh, that's not exactly what's going on when you put wokeness into practice because apparently you just get a lot of black chicks. Uh, here's an entire, <laughs> this is video, the entire Supreme Court of New York State is now all black women. Uh, what's interesting about this is that only 1.5% of lawyers are black women, but somehow the entire Supreme Court in New York is black women. I'm gonna have to get my abacus out, take a look. All rise, this all African-American bench, which happens to have all women, fittingly taking place during Black History Month, presiding Justice Diane Renwick and Justices Troy Weber, Tanya Kennedy. Okay, so first up, it's basically mathematically that impossible that they would be all black women, black women, 1.5% of lawyers in New York. Okay, so that's one thing. Number two, that's not diverse. I don't care about diversity of skin color or gender or sexuality. These people do. So how can the people who are pushing DEI on us be like, look at all those black women? Isn't that diverse? No, it isn't. And, um, and the bigger problem is that there is every reason to believe that they all basically think the exact same things too, right? So you could have, it would be possible, let's put aside the 1.5%, it would be possible to have five black women uh, up there that had a diverse range of opinions, but I'm guessing that's not what you're getting out of New York and we know exactly why they were hired, but it's lauded by the media. Like, oh my God, it's so, sp it's so spectacular. It's so diverse. They all look exactly the same. They all have vaginas. Somebody get me a, a coolie. Here's uh, Secretary of State. Uh, this is this is just incredible. Uh, this woman, Bonnie Jenkins, um, and she's, well, just watch this. She wants more DEI. They just want more. And I wonder how this woman got the job. I think it's important, you know, in terms of helping younger people understand the challenges, you know, that, you know, women feel, particularly women of color feel, 
you know, in these spaces because you are you are always going to be challenged, right. and you have to get to the point where it, you, you have to be persistent. You can't let that really keep you uh, take you off your game. Yeah. Um, because if you're going to if you're going to be successful in fields where there aren't that many of people who look like me, it's just part of the territory. But by doing that, you open doors for others because then people will see that they will it, it won't be so different. You know, I think people grow up seeing a certain thing on TV or around them, and uh, in media they see a certain look. And so when they see a look that's not what they're used to for all their lives, it makes them even feel a little uncomfortable right. because it's not, wait a minute, that's not the culture that I learned. Um, and so some people are easier at adjusting to that than others. Um, so that's why it's important to have diversity so that people can see that there is no one look yeah. to be good at something or to excel at something. You know, uh, certain people have more privileges. So that woman is the undersecretary for arms control. There is another video that was going viral over the weekend. We'll play it tomorrow where in a congressional hearing, she's repeatedly asked because the administration is pushing for a two-state solution uh, involving Israel, which is completely absurd. There never were two states. There was never a state known as Palestine. How are you gonna reward these people after, all, after this attack and all that stuff? There's an incredible uh, exchange between her and Brian Mast, who's a congressman here in Florida, where he's basically like, so if you give them a state, uh, who's gonna run it? Is Hamas gonna run it? Is the Palestinian Authority? And she has no idea what she's talking about. She just keeps saying she wants two states because these people are not particularly bright. They work their way up, they, they buy into the ideology, they bow to the ideology, and then it, it pays off for them. But everything she said in the video that you just watched there, it's just irrelevant. It does not matter what you look like. That was the idea of a colorblind society. The whole freaking thing that MLK wanted, right, was that his kids wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content or their character. But it's not just skin color. The other thing is genitals. And, and you know, if your genitals don't match your sexual, sec, your gender, then you're, you get a job, okay? So if you're in the marketplace for a job right now, chop your genitals off because it's gonna move your resume. We should, that, that's a joke, people. Nobody chop your genitals off. Uh, but here's Dick Levine, which I love this guy. So this is Dick Levine. His name is Richard Levine. He lived his life as a man, his entire life as a man. He was a father into his mid-50s and had a wang and he was a dude, like most dudes, and uh, then he decided he was a chick. Uh, and now he is Admiral Rachel Levine and he is, he or she or whatever the fuck she is, well, she loves climate change. <laughs> Hello, I'm Admiral Rachel Levine. This Black History Month, I'm pleased to partner with OMH in advancing better health through better understanding for black communities. Climate change is having a disproportionate effect on the physical and mental health of black communities. Black Americans are more likely than white Americans to live in areas and housing that increase their susceptibility to climate-related health issues. And 65% of black Americans report feeling anxious about climate change's impact. Sorry, I was, I, we were all just sitting here, like inside. So it's Black History. Oh, that's the other thing. I didn't wish anyone a happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. February's Black History Month. Congratulations, everybody. So it's Black History Month. They send up a white man pretending to be a chick to talk about the importance of climate change as it relates to gender and sexual. What? What? But that's why you got the job. Congratulations. It's very exciting. But but you guys know what happens is all of these bad ideas and all of the dingbats that are imported to destroy society, they do destroy society. They like again, you gotta give them 
credit. That's why I'm always giving the devil his due. We can say these people are idiots. We can say their ideas are wrong. We can make fun of their purple hair and their mismatched genitals, but they're destroying an awful lot. So what's the other thing that this is connected to? It's connected to this immigration situation because we have about 7 million people that have shown up in this country in the last three years. 7 million people, that's more than 38 states of population. So eight, so 38 states have less than 7 million people in them. Uh, they've got 7 million people now here and they're kicking kids out of sports practice. They're kicking homeless people out of homeless shelters and a bunch more. Uh, check this out, this video. This is a, a, a Boston, uh, boys baseball practice was canceled because the illegal aliens have taken over in the name of tolerance and diversity. It's been two weeks since the Melnea Cash Recreational Community Center in Roxbury was converted into an emergency shelter for migrant families. Hundreds of beds now cover the indoor track and soccer fields where neighborhood children like 12-year-old Jeremiah Rodriguez thought he had baseball practice this weekend. We usually practice. And what happened when you went here today? Uh, they were closed. Closed to the public as dozens of families are now living in the shelter who are at one point sleeping in Logan Airport as the state shelter system is stretched to the limit. Overall, it has been uh, putting some pressure on the capacity of our system. You know, putting a little pressure, yeah, that's the racist. She's a genuine racist mayor of Boston, the woman who had a party, a holiday party for her non-white employees. Uh, she's opened this freaking thing up, Boston, to be a, a sanctuary city. Poor, poor Sam Malone over at Cheers. You know what I mean? They were running a fine bar over there. Now it's been completely ransacked. The fat guy's out on his ass, the mailman, everybody. Uh, and Jeremiah Rodriguez, that nice kid, he just wants to play baseball and he can't play baseball anymore. Jeremiah, who was kind of tan, he, he looked Latino, uh, if I can say that. And I get, sorry, you're screwed, man. We're bringing in these people. So what's the point of all this, guys? The, the, the left, the wokesters, the progressives, they believe that your inalienable rights come from government. And this is a problem because if they come from government, they can take away your rights just like that. If the government made you free, the government can take away your freedom. And that is not how this country was set up. So I wanna connect this to something else because this clip was absolutely wild. It's from the televised mental institution known as MSNBC. Uh, and they started talking about Christian nationalism, which I've talked a bit about on the show. If you saw our Friday panel a week ago uh, with Josh Hammer and with James, uh, James Lindsay, um, we, we talked a bit about it. Uh, but here they are talking about where rights come from and listen to how wrong they get it. The one thing that unites all of them, because there's many different groups orbiting Trump, but the thing that unites them as Christian nationalists, not Christians, by the way, because Christian nationalists is very different, mm -hmm. is that they believe that our rights as Americans, as all human beings, don't come from any earthly authority. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the Supreme Court. They come from God. Yeah, bitch. That's how it was set up. Clip that. Yeah. Rights do come from God. The government didn't make you free. It is your innate human right. The, the founders brilliantly made the point in the Declaration of Independence that your rights come from God. If government gave you those rights, government can take them away. What government does is create a system to protect your God-given rights, okay? I'm not free because, the, because Joe Biden made me free. I'm, I'm less free because of Joe Biden, right? The government should be getting out of the way so that the fact that that woman was put on that televised mental institution to completely 
reverse how the country was set up and then make it seem that it's like it's a radical notion if you think your rights come from God. And by the way, you can take a more humanist, uh, let's say, notion on this and that, you know, that it's, it's your rights are, are an innate human if you don't want to be perfectly a believer or something like that or believe in the, the Christian God. But the point is that it didn't come from government itself. So why is all of this so dangerous? Well, once the wokesters get in and once they confuse you and make everything about race and everything else and you don't know where your rights come from, then the way the media frames everything depends on whether it fits the narrative or not. So th this is really wild. So uh, Ann Coulter was on Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday night. And you guys remember last week after the Super Bowl uh, in Kansas City, there was a shooting at the parade and it was known basically that day that it was a couple black guys that did the shooting. There were pictures floating online and everything else. Um, Bill Maher's show is on Friday, so there were a couple days out there where we kind of all knew it, but the mainstream media just ignored the story because the mainstream media doesn't like stories where black people shoot people. They love stories where black people get shot. So Ann Coulter went on Bill Maher's show uh, and talked about that sort of inconsistency, let's say, when it comes to the media. I mean, we don't know who did this shooting, by the way. The, the, the Super Bowl shooting. We have we, some idea. What? If it were a white man shooting, we'd know. Who, well, we don't know. But they, I mean, they That's how we know it's not a white man, I can tell you that much. Do you think they're, they're repressing that reporting? They wouldn't tell us about the um, transgender woman that shot up the Christian school for what, like a year? Um, oh, San Bernardino out here. Remember the crazy terrorist Muslims? I, that's when I first noticed, hmm, they're not telling us who it is. I, it's not a white male. The longer they go without telling you, it's not a white male. Okay, like, well, <laughs> we don't, we, for this one, for right now, as of Friday night, February 16th, we, know. we, don't, we don't officially know. Okay, you know, you have special powers. Um, but, All right, the point is, we did know. I mean, there were pictures basically immediately. Here, here's TMZ. Moments before shots fired, teens facing off in heat and exchange. So yeah, it was two black guys. Nobody's debating that. I don't know how that information didn't get through to Bill on that, but, but it's not even about that. What it's really about is what Anne is saying, that the media likes certain narratives, and if things fit the narrative, you run with it, and they don't like other narratives. That's why, can we get the numbers on how many people were shot in Chicago this weekend? That's why it does not matter. Whatever number Brock's about to tell me, you will not hear any of these young black people's names because they will have been shot by other black people. That's just fact. What? 21 people were shot in Chicago this weekend. How many people were killed? Four killed. How come you don't know any of their names? You get the point. Anyway, Anne uh, continued. Media who do not care about blacks killing blacks. And this is the w one time where I think, I mean, you always hear, well, um, pretty white girl, oh, they'll cover that. No, the blacks killing blacks will not get covered by the media. That's a huge media problem. And yeah, you'll, you'll all laugh at me, um, but I'm gonna say it because I'm right. Very right. The cause of this right. is, is illegitimacy. <laughs> all of these young men do not have fathers. And that is a huge, huge source of it. Anything that could be done to reduce the illegitimacy rate, particularly among the black community, it would be astronomical, the changes you'd see. Do you know, just one, one fact, if you take away the factor of illegitimacy, the difference in the black and the white crime rate disappears. You know, uh, it's an amazing it, fact. It, it's, it's, it would be an amazing fact if it were true, but, but look, well, I mean, it is a big part of it. Listen, uh, 
See, look, everything that Anne said there was true, and we do know that the fatherhood issue and what then gets people caught in, in generations of welfare and everything else, we do know that this is the problem, right? Thomas Sowell has been writing about this for 50 years, basically. Uh, many other people have. Van Jones, you can see he doesn't know what to say. He's being confronted with the truth and he's a CNN guy, so he doesn't get the truth. It doesn't like permeate his force field that often. So then he just has a glib line like, oh, it would be good if it was true. And then the audience, a bunch of bah, 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 throw us some fish, throw us some fish. So, okay, when what happens though? Let's put that aside, that shooting aside, and, and the idea of that narrative aside. What happens over time when you say to some people, you can commit crimes, you can jump turnstiles, you can steal all the stuff you want out of Best Buy and everything else? Well, check this out out of crazy commie California from KTLA. Ju juveniles will no longer be allowed at a Torrance shopping mall without adults on certain days due, in, due to an increase in violent brawls. Now there's a picture of the violent brawl. I don't want to make it about race, okay? And it's not racist to, to point that out. Actually, the irony is that Anne is the one not being racist there. Anne is the one going, there's a problem that's not related to skin color. It's related to fatherhood. It's related to good role models, all of those things. And everyone knows that is true. And they're making it seem like, as he said, well, you're not right, you're far right. It's like, it's just so freaking awful. So the problem is we have not had in this country for quite some time, although I do think the worm is turning, we have not had enough professional people out there with the balls to say, what is true? What time is it? And what we can do to fix things? So I've shown you a couple of videos over the last uh, couple of weeks from the now re-elected president of El Salvador, uh, President Bukele. Uh, and here he is issuing a chilling warning about America turning into El Salvador. Now he's turned El Salvador around, but he's saying, hey, America, you might be on your way to what we just dug ourselves out of. This was a couple of days ago at CPAC in Florida. The disease that had begun with mild symptoms got worse and worse. It became a cancer that seemed incurable. We are already seeing these symptoms in the United States. Big cities in decline like Baltimore, Portland, New York, just to name a few. Places where crime and drugs have become, have become the daily norm and even accepted and promoted by the government. How many young people have you lost to the streets of Philadelphia or San Francisco, to fentanyl. Did we see these apocalyptic sites 15, 10, five years ago? Can you imagine how it will be in the next five, 10, or 15 years? The same thing was happening in El Salvador. In the span of less than a decade, gangs took control of all the country and our society. They evolved into a parallel government, controlling elections and even political parties. Every aspect of the daily life of most people was controlled by the gangs. Murder capital of the world is a tragic title to hold. Getting rid of, what, of that was the bare minimum we had to achieve in order to even start thinking about rebuilding our country. Well, there's the warning. There's the warning. Murder capital of the world. I've told you a couple times, I was in El Salvador about eight years ago, my brother-in-law was doing, no, it was more than that, about 10 years ago, my brother-in-law was doing some work down there. We went for a week, we had to stay in a very, very armed, secured uh, community, barbed wire, which apparently does work. You weren't allowed to walk out because if you took one 
wrong turn, you end up basically getting killed. Gangs were running everything. They just take over people's homes and a whole bunch more. Now they've reversed it. Now they've reversed it. And he's going, uh, guys, what we had there, you're importing it into Baltimore and to Philadelphia and San Francisco and everything else. So the warning is there. Will we heed that warning? I suspect we won't in places like New York and California. I suspect we will in places like Florida and Texas. So what can we do? Well, as you know, the answer always, of course, is to be brave and tell the truth. So whether you're Naib Bukele right there, who turned his country around and now warning other people, that's pretty good. Uh, how about your Jerry Seinfeld? And when you get asked a stupid question about, well, you have too many white people on your comedy show, you just turn it back on that asexual weirdo. Or you could be like Shane Gillis, a guy who was canceled for being politically incorrect, and then he doubled down on being politically incorrect, and he actually ended up hosting the very show he was gonna be a bit player on. So just a couple more for you. Uh, let's jump back to uh, Jerry Seinfeld going after that asexual liberal weirdo. People think it's it's the census or something? I mean, this has got to <laughs> represent the, the actual pie chart of, of, of America. Who cares? It's just funny. You know, funny is, is, the, is the world that I live in. You're funny, I'm interested. You're not funny, I'm not interested. Okay. And, and I have no interest in gender or race or anything like that. But everyone else is kind of with their little calculating, is this the exact right mix? You know, uh, I, I think that's, uh, to me, it's anti-comedy. It's not only anti-comedy, it's anti-human, it's anti-creative, it's, it's anti-everything that the human spirit is all about. Oh, black guy, this, you do that, gay person, act this way. That's why AI has turned, <laughs> that's why AI has turned into this evil thing. Because a bunch of people who were programmed to think like robots started programming the robots. That's a bit of a problem. So you gotta tell the truth. You gotta call these people out. And then most importantly, now we're bringing it home, you have to be, in, you have to be inspired so that we can look at the future and be like, holy shit, there's some good stuff there. So that every day when you turn on whatever show you're watching, it's not just complaining about this or that, or now this many people got killed and that city fell and the bomb went off over here. It's like, oh, we're going to other worlds. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? We're meeting aliens and we're surfing on Mars. That would be something. Here's Elon Musk. We gotta be excited about the future. We gotta do things that make us want to live. You know, it cannot always be about problems every day. I mean, do you want to wake up every morning and everything's just a problem? What inspires you and what makes you excited about the future? There's gotta be some things like that. So that's my question to you. What, what inspires you? What makes you excited about the future, right? We can get through this thing, but it's gonna take a little bit of work. I got nothing better to do than save the world. All right, we're back. Guys, post-game show in about 30 seconds, rubenreport.locals.com if you want to join us and help keep this show totally independent so that the overlords don't hijack my mind and make me say things I don't believe. Uh, People of the Internet is also live at 1 p.m. today. New Twitter account, Ruben Report Show on the Twitter over there. We're Ruben Report on Instagram. We're Ruben Report on Rumble. You want me to promote anything else? I'm wearing Lululemon underwear. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.